Welcome to Inspiration, Influence and Impact, the podcast with your host, Karen Caswell. Listen as guests from all walks of life share where they have found inspiration, who has influenced them in their lives and what impact they hope to have on the lives of others. These stories not only connect and empower us, but inspire, influence and impact those around us often more than we'll ever know. We acknowledge the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and all Indigenous peoples of the world as the traditional owners and custodians of country and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters, sky and culture. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to Inspiration, Influence and Impact, the podcast. This episode's guest is a dedicated and passionate education leader who uses her creativity, innovation and dedication to inspire others and build their capacity to make a positive difference to the education of all students. She has developed a website, blog and professional learning network called Thinking Pathways and she co-hosts the Teacher Takeaway Educational Podcast. In addition, she has recently written a book called The Thinking Classroom, Supporting Educators to Embed Critical and Creative Thinking, which will be available in October. I'm delighted to welcome Alice Figures to the podcast. Hi, Alice. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Karen. I'm really excited to join you on this podcast. Thank you very much. All right. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with your imprint on the world yet, can you please share a bit about your current context, your location, current work, and your passion, mission, and vision? All right. So I'm currently um, located in New South Wales in the beautiful Snowy Valley region. It's quite cold. Haven't you you had snow? (laughs) we don't we don't get snow we're not um we sit at about 350 meters above sea level so we we avoid having snow regularly which is (laughs) quite good uh we do get sleet though which makes playground duty just you know that extra little bit fun Mm, can't i can't imagine that (laughs) (laughs) but it, it is a beautiful part of the world and we are just a short drive from the ski fields um which is which is really nice and it's nice to be able to expose our students to the ski fields as part of like a stage three excursion it's a nice um little incentive not quite so far as it is for the students up here when they go on their Canberra and ski trip (laughs) no it's only about an hour and a half up the road It's, (laughs) it's nothing really um so I'm as I said based in the snowy valleys and I've been teaching at my current school for about two and a half years now I'm the assistant principal curriculum and instruction there so one of the new New South Wales Department of Ed uh roles that they've just rolled out this year which is really exciting I teach in a primary school so K to six students and I've been teaching for about well I think this is my 14th year now gosh I think you start stop counting after 10 don't you well I certainly stopped counting I stopped counting after 20 (laughs) (laughs) they kind of all just meld into one I think Mm -hmm. I'm really passionate about building the capacity of others Um, In in all of the work that I do, I really try to support 
other educators to be the best versions of themselves for the students that they teach and to have that, you know, really positive impact on, on their students and their learning and their um, ability to develop a really rich thinking culture in their classrooms is, is what I'm really passionate about. Um, I also kind of dabble in the space of, of visible learning and really draw upon um, you know, inquiry learning and the inquiry learning model and framework to teach the students that I have or had in my classroom. I'm in, a, in an off-class um, role at the moment, but I also draw upon that framework in the way that I lead my colleagues and the way that we, um, you know, explore professional learning and engage with research and, and all of those kinds of things. So those things are really what drive what I do and what I'm, I'm passionate about and it's kind of how the book <laughs> came about which I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about um, later on but I think what sits at the heart of of that passion in terms of building capacity of other teachers is around the students and how we provide an environment for the students that is engaging and that you know, gives them those foundational skills that they require, but also develops their ability to think and to think well and to think critically and creatively about all kinds of things related to all the curriculum areas and really bringing that, their voice into that conversation around, you know, how we engage them, how we invite them into that, that learning journey and, and, invite them into the planning of that process. So those um, three things probably really blend quite well together, um, as I'm sure you found. So the the inquiry, the thinking routines and the visible learning. So yep. it's, it's like a perfect little triad. triad. <laughs> <laughs> it is, yeah. Do you, um, lots of teachers or um, different people that I have spoken to have like a philosophy or a mission statement? Did you, do you have anyone, anything like that that you wanted to share? I do, and I have one that I kind of recently penned or put down because I had to kind of sit and think about what it is that I believe and what my mission statement might be. Um, and what I came up with was that I believe that, you know, all of our students should be known, valued and cared for, not just in my school but in all schools, that teachers really are our greatest resource that we need to capitalise and foster and, and build and, and meld in order to have the best education system and provide the best education for our students. And I believe that, you know, all students are entitled to a high-quality education that's grounded in evidence-based, that's data-informed and focuses on student growth. And that's what sits at the, at the heart of the teaching and learning process is that course we want all students to achieve but feel like we're really looking for is for every student to grow and student growth looks different for every student which is comes back to that idea around you know identified student needs and and differentiated learning and looking at how we capitalize on that to move student learning forward and I think it's really important um, probably in the past the system has I think being guilty of focusing on one type of 
student growth only, yep. which is academic and, you know, grades. I think we're coming back to the realisation. I don't think teachers ever lost this. I believe the powers that be are coming yep. back to realising there's more to our students than just their academic outcomes um, and that we do need to focus on the whole child because before they can achieve academically, there's so many other things, so many other needs that need to be met Absolutely. and so many other aspects of them as a person that they need to grow and develop in order to have that academic success. Yeah, and I think you're so right. I'm starting to see, and I think over the last probably couple of years, we're starting to see that shift in education where they've, you know, the powers that be have suddenly realised that, you know, you can't, you can't blooms as they say, until you've got Maslow in place. Like, you know, those, those core needs of a student and the well-being of students has to sit at the forefront of what we do because the academic learning, whilst, you know, they're still able to learn, it's probably not going to be at their greatest potential perhaps mm. that, than it would if, you know, we're really focusing on addressing those other needs as well. Mm. And I think there's been a lot more focus on the social emotional learning and because, again, they need all of those so-called soft skills in order to be able to learn successfully as well. I and I think with the, you know, the introduction of digital technology, that has kind of really exacerbated the need for those, you know, explicit teaching of, of social and emotional skills and, you know, what is termed soft skills because students are coming to school and I don't know if you find it in your context, you know, that they don't have the social capabilities that they did 10 years ago, the, mm. the skill set is just not there, you know, they're not interacting as much with people, um, you know, they're just handed advice when you say, when you go out to dinner, kids just handed advice. So there's no, none of that interaction and that communication, the development of that oral language. And I think it's kind of now that we're seeing the effects or the impact that that's having on student academic success and their ability to engage effectively with their peers and the ability to regulate themselves in social interactions with mm. with others and all of those kinds of things yeah it is um for sure certainly the oral language deficit we we see that but yeah also the other one is being able to regulate when yeah. things don't go their way we do have a lot of work and that you know that's for a number of reasons obviously um trauma and and different things that children are experiencing outside of school yeah so I think it is so important I guess that we keep that whole child in mind when we are working with our colleagues and when we are deciding you know what is best practice and how are we going to help our students achieve it's so complex it is. <laughs> there are so <laughs> many areas to consider yeah and I guess that's why they call it an art mm. it really is so many moving parts to the beast that is teaching like it's there's so many things that teachers think about and consider on a daily basis in order to be able to do the amazing work that each and every one of them does mm -hmm. and I think and unless or until you have experienced that or seen it in action I think many many people wouldn't understand the complexities yeah of, of the role of a teacher no for sure First thing we're going to talk about is where have you found inspiration and what impact has it had? 
the first kind of thing that I came to was thinking about past teachers. They have had quite a profound impact on my career and my decision to become a teacher. So back when they, you know, they used, they had in New South Wales what was called an ATAR and I was trying to decide what it was I wanted to do with my life at 17. <laughs> I had some teachers who really inspired me. They were really engaging and early on recognised my passions and the things that I was really good at as a learner and capitalised on those. And when I sat down to think about what it was that I really wanted to do, I kind of went, well, you know, I'd really like to be a meteorologist, but maybe I'd give teaching a go um, as well. And so I kind of fell into teaching, um, thought, oh, give it, give it a go and, and see how it works out. And haven't haven't looked back since. I think it was one of the best kind of decisions that I, I made. And part of going down the track of being a teacher was that I also had a teacher that I had quite a negative experience with. And this particular experience had a profound impact on the way that I saw myself as a learner and the way that I approached a the subject of mathematics, which for most kids, they go, oh, you know, mathematics, that's, they, you know, they have this aversion to it, most, most kids. Mm -hmm. But this particular teacher one day had made a statement like, oh, you, you haven't got it and you'll never get it. And it was, you know, if you don't have it now, you're never going to learn it. So just don't bother. And it was like, you know, a bullet to the chest. It was like, oh, this, you know, it's, mm. you're supposed to be kind and encouraging and this person was almost soul-crushing. It kind of took me a while to get my head around it, but that experience is kind of what I use to feel the fire. I went into teaching going, you know what, I don't want any other kid to feel the way that this person had made me feel. And so I've kind of made it my mission <laughs> to change that narrative for other students not to experience that kind of negative impact in their schooling. Make or break. Oh, absolutely. As, even as adults, things like that can, you know, can really affect us. Yeah. Um, and it is often you will, people will talk about, you know, their favourite teacher or the teacher that they remember the most or the teacher that, um, yeah, had that positive impact. And I've written about it um, in my blog. I don't. I actually can't think of one of those teachers, <laughs> um, and that's not necessarily because there weren't any. Um, yeah, could have just been that I maybe just wasn't paying that you much attention. It out. <laughs> yeah, but I do remember the negative, and not only how that I guess made me feel personally, but how it affected my learning mm. in general because I didn't have that relationship with a teacher that yeah. teacher um felt like that teacher didn't like me I don't think she seemed to like anybody um, <laughs> I don't think she seemed to want to even be there at all yeah. maybe but we had the same teacher <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> if you look back through even my report cards like if we're talking about academic success yeah that year is the year that I achieved the lowest grades yeah. that I did throughout 
my schooling. The only thing I can think of now reflecting, I think, is just the difference in how that I felt in that class. Yeah. Um, Yeah. As opposed to the others, obviously, I didn't feel particularly like I don't have that, oh, you know, this teacher was the best teacher ever, but I obviously felt comfortable and motivated and you know that the teacher took an interest and and all of those things whereas when that was all missing um yeah things things went downhill (laughs) yeah and it and it really comes back I think to that whole notion of building relationships it Mm. kind of really highlights the importance of spending time to you know and taking time to get to know each and every one of the students like you don't have to be best friends with them but Mm. you know you need to get to know them and understand what drives them and what they're interested in so that you can use that to shape the way that you engage with them so that they, you know, know that you, you see them and that, you know, you understand them and, and can have that relationship with them. And just that general feel of the classroom too, isn't it? Like, oh, yeah, you know, the kids want to come and they feel comfortable and you know they feel that it's a safe place or that it's a happy place or that it's you know it's somewhere where you know it may not be that um that you know the teacher is necessarily knows everything about them but they do feel seen enough wanting to be in that in that environment that that culture that we create within the classroom yeah and there's a good quote and i don't for the life of me know who who wrote it but I it always sticks with me that you know students don't learn from teachers that they don't like Mm. and that's you know just kind of sums up the need to create those relationships Mm. well I have a son in year 12 and he just got his semester one report card and he he does very well Um, he puts in a lot of effort and works really hard and he's Mm maths <laughs> again um <laughs> you know he for all of his other subjects you know he was he got a's and he got excellent effort and yeah. for maths he got a b and very good effort which is fine like there's nothing yeah. wrong with getting that but it was just I sort of said to him so what do you think the difference, the difference is <laughs> yeah. you know there's nothing wrong with those grades at all yeah but what do you think the difference is like is it that maths is harder or is it the teacher has higher expectations or is it and he just went oh that teacher you know yeah some sort of comment about the teacher oh that teacher so again it comes back to like maths is not his strongest subject and he's not as confident in maths but he's very capable yeah but I think again it's that well he doesn't necessarily feel a connection to the teacher or feel like you know, as kids make those judgments, oh, then he's not a very good teacher or he's not a this or a that. Yeah. And so then that influences or affects the output that he has for that subject. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Make a fascinating study. <laughs> yeah, it would. Because even kids who I think are intrinsically motivated and want to learn and try to achieve their best, it still affects them. Mm. Like, Oh, 100%. Yeah. And so with those kids who I guess are more successful academically, if it affects them, imagine I think that the impact is greater probably on the students who find learning or school more challenging. And that, you know, just means that 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 gap then gets wider Mm. and wider 
because they just are like teacher doesn't want to spend the time to help me mm. learn and understand and so it's like oh well why do I bother I'm just gonna you know play up and muck up and do whatever mm. whereas that intrinsically motivated child goes oh well the teacher's not going to help me learn and understand but I'm just going to try anyway and and mm-hmm. chip away at it and plug away and find other ways to you know achieve the, the outcomes all right so the next question is who has influenced you and in what way there's been quite a few who have influenced me and I think one of the biggest influences on my career has been Ron Richard around creating a culture of thinking and the use of thinking routines and the development of a uh, a thinking culture in the classroom it was back in I think it was around 2017 that I met Ron when I was working um, on the Central Coast um, in the Catholic system there. And we had a a Leaders' Day or series of seminar sessions with, with Ron. And the first question that he posed to us was, when you tell someone you're thinking what's actually going on in your head and that kind of, it got me thinking Mm. and it was like, oh, I don't know, I've never stopped to think about what I do when I think about something or how I go about thinking in different ways. Like it had kind of never occurred to me. It was like Mm. it's just something that I do. Yeah. And, you know, we were engaging in this deep discussion around, well, if I've never thought about what I do when I think, how then am I, supposed to provide clarity to students around helping to shape the way that they view things and think about different things in strategic ways. And so that was kind of probably the biggest catalyst for change in my career and has been a really big focus of mine since then. So it's been, it's been quite a few years now, but he has been probably the biggest influencer on my career and and my path and the likes of, um, I know we talked about it in the pre-show, Trevor McKenzie, beautiful, beautiful um, educator, does some wonderful things in the space of inquiry. And I think I met him probably around a similar time, 2017, 2018. He did a masterclass at the Google headquarters in Sydney which was amazing, by the way, if you have an opportunity to go to Google headquarters, oh, you won't regret it. But he just had this way of explaining an inquiry framework and, and the inquiry model that really resonated and made sense and really kind of connected with the learning that I was doing with Ron Richard and and the direction that we were heading in school and it was kind of done in a way where, you know, most people when they hear inquiry learning, they just think free for all, Mm. you know, genius hour kind of stuff and they go, oh, you know, the kids won't learn. And he uses this beautiful swimming pool analogy. The way that he describes it, I could never do it justice, but he, he talks about inquiry learning very much a phased approach, almost like that gradual release of responsibility. You know, we don't expect 
you know, when you're, when you're teaching a child how to swim, you don't just throw them in the deep end and hope it's best. (laughs) It's just never going to end well. Got to have your supports in place and give them the, the skills to be able to learn to swim. So you use things like, you know, pool noodles and, and um, floaties and kickboards and all those things to, to give them the skills to be able to then, you know, gradually release it where they're swimming short distances and, and so on. But that model and that analogy of the swimming pool, it just fits perfectly with what inquiry learning really is. It's that, that gradual release of responsibility and it's that development of skills and fostering of curiosity and the development of thinking about problems and, and the development of solutions and looking at things through a different lens than um, perhaps what traditional schooling might have looked like. Mm-hmm. So I think, um, you know, in terms of the two big catalysts in my career, those, those two would have to be the biggest um, educational influences on my career. The great thing about Trevor's work as well is he makes it really easy to understand. But then when Rebecca does her sketch notes, which yeah. is like the swimming pool in, in the sketch note, um, having that visual there, yeah. then just you go, oh. Yeah, it know. brings that clarity to it, doesn't yeah, it? Just it like does. that, that makes sense. And so anybody who, you know, when they say to me, oh, you know, inquiry, that, that grunt that you get when mm-hmm. you say the word inquiry and you just go, you know what, you need to look at this work and you need to look at this swimming pool analogy and let's talk about what this looks like and what this means and then make a decision about your stance mm. on inquiry. It's, mm. And yeah. I think it's, it's not even how we teach the kids' inquiry. It's understanding what inquiry is yeah you know so he even has the pillars of inquiry and you know and an inquiry educator what an inquiry educator does yeah and even for us providing breaking it down into those different components before we even sort of get to well how are we going to get the kids to learn through inquiry-based learning yeah we need to understand which is why I think we get a lot of the oh inquiry and it, you know people yeah. say it's it's not rigorous or it's you know it's not this or it's not that it is if you understand the process yes. <laughs> and if you don't just throw them in the deep end yeah yeah absolutely and I think that that's really important is that understanding around what inquiry is and what it's not and what in effective inquiry looks like in that process is is really important. And the role of the teacher in that process and the role of the student yep. in that process. And there is explicit instruction yes. in inquiry. Yes. And that always irks me when people say, oh, they, you know, there's no explicit instructions. Like, well, there, there is. Mm. You just don't understand the modeling. But it is also a big thing to get your head around as oh, well. Massive. You know, massive. so um and I think it took me it took me a good couple of years to get my solidly get my head around it and go, you know what, I am confident in this space and I'm confident in sharing that, you know, with others. Whereas I think in the beginning it was like, okay, I'm gonna try this and started with Genius Hour, which the kids loved. But I very quickly realized that, oh my gosh, these kids do not have the skills to be able to do this. And so it was like, okay. I can 
mold this genius hour in and work on you know little bite-sized stuff so we can learn the skills and I think it was at that point that I that I came across Trevor's work and just went oh my god this is the missing piece of the puzzle this is the the understanding that I didn't have when I first dabbled with genius hour and from then on it was just like amazing journey of that knowledge building and you know, understanding and experimenting and, and trialing and getting to a place where I was just like, you know, this, this works and this is the benefits are in, in the mm-hmm. students, in the, you know, the learning environment that we've created and that curiosity that students have and, and their growth that we were seeing. And it was just like, yep, this is real learning kind of looks like. Mm-hmm. And I think the big thing missing for me recently or over the past few years is student curiosity. We've done something wrong somewhere. <laughs> I'm sure they have, it's there. It's just trying to bring it out again, that innate curiosity, because we all know what kids are like, Yeah, you know, when they go through that phase where all they do is ask questions. Yeah. When they start school, they're excited. They want to learn everything and everything's new. And they, what's next? What's next? You know, they're interested in so many different things. And then I teach year four. By the time they get to us, it's like, you know, (laughs) and even doing things like Genius Hour and Passion Projects, they flop because they can't identify without not necessarily you know, having the skills to do it, they don't know what they're interested in or what they're passionate about because that innate curiosity has somehow been pushed down or it's not as strong in them anymore. Yeah. And so if you were to say, okay, well, what are you passionate about? What do you want to learn more about? Or what are they like? You get (laughs) crickets or it's like YouTubers and games yeah which says it which says a whole lot about our society currently doesn't it it really Mm. emphasizes the fact that that's become a a massive part of our world and it's having a profound impact on on our students and their curiosity there's a beautiful graphic and I I don't know who again I don't know who released it but there's this research study that was done around how many questions little people so Mm. like you know prior to school and like kindergarten and prior to school ask every day so it's like an insane number of questions and I've got a four and a half year old and I can vouch for that it's questions galore and the graph steadily declines and by the time they reach year 12 it's like you know they're not asking many questions anymore and I wonder like you said you know by the time you get to year four they're you know they're not as curious as you would expect them to be and I wonder whether that's a product of, you know, the, the model of education that we use. You know, we've got a 21st century schools, but we're teaching in the, mm-hmm. you know, using a 20th century model. Like it's really kind of highlights the fact that we don't perhaps value curiosity as much as we should. Mm. And I think the time for them to be curious And I do think it's partly the system. It's like we, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, but I know for up here in Queensland, and I think you're heading down this path, whereas we're not anymore, we've gone away from it. We had the, essentially it was a scripted curriculum. Yeah. So it was provided to us, the resource, and it had 
the lesson plans. It had what to do, what to say. It had so much in there. It, it was impossible to cover. But it also, I think, the kids became really passive yeah. because as teachers we were so focused on we've got to teach this, we've got to get this taught, this is the content, you know, it's here, this is what I've got to cover, you know, I'm expected to do all of these things. So we sort of just was, it was really just that um, saying spray or the, you know, whatever, just to yeah. get it done. Yeah. And the kids just became so passive. They just sat there that learning wasn't something they did. Like it was something yeah, it was done, done to, them. Done to yeah. them. And so as we've slowly shifted, we're having to work really hard on getting those skills back and the students engaging in the learning, doing the learning themselves yeah. rather than waiting for us to spoon feed them or yeah. to tell them how to do it or this is what we want you to do or this is, you know, um, and some kids struggle with that. Yeah. They're yeah. like, oh, what? Oh, and that's where you sort of also what we were talking about earlier, like when they those social emotional skills they don't cope. <laughs> yeah, don't have resilience. Yeah, within the learning kit. <laughs> mm. So, I mean, it, it sort of all comes together in that way. But yeah, it it really did affect our students' ability to learn. I believe. Yeah. I don't think it achieved the outcomes they thought yeah. it was going to achieve. Teachers hated it. Yeah, like we lost the joy in learning because. Yeah. And it was, takes away your creativity as yeah, well as teachers. Like you don't have that leeway or as much mm. leeway to go, you know what, I I think we could address this in this way, whereas it's, oh, here's the script and I'm this is what I have to teach. Mm. Like you lose the joy in teaching mm. um, because it, you can't do it to your style or in that sense, but also because it was just the pressure. There's enough pressure as it is um, yeah. and, and we all feel it. Um, and the responsibility that goes with it. But then having to say, have you covered all of this stuff? Yeah. Did you find having that scripted units that teacher content knowledge wasn't as great because yeah, they just yeah. picked up a unit and went, oh, I'm just going with this one. Like they mm-hmm. haven't had to unpack the syllabus and mm-hmm. look at how they would specifically address outcomes and mm. Yeah, and so that's, again, something that um, schools are having to do now as well is make sure that teachers, we really understand the curriculum yeah, and what it means for children to achieve that achievement standard. Yeah. Because that was the other thing, even within that document, when when we go back and look at it now, it doesn't align with the curriculum. Oh, there was <laughs> so many errors that we were trying to get kids to do grades like work that wasn't required for another two grades. Oh wow! You know, so instead of identifying the assessment task, had them analysing something. Yeah, and it's like you know, so you know, um, there's a lot of reasons why you know most schools have moved away from it. Some we use it still as a resource, like it's there if you want to look at it. Um, I guess for lesson sequences or you know, ideas for something. Yeah. Not many schools use the assessment tasks were pages and pages and pages long. Oh, wow. um, not many schools are using those anymore. Again, yeah, we didn't have the knowledge of the curriculum because it was like, yeah, I'll pick this up. Here's the assessment. Here's what I've got to teach them. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Can they do it? No, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there was a few flaws. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what New South Wales's journey looks like mm. in that space. So I think the motivation be, behind them was different. Yeah. The motivation for our government was to improve student outcomes and it didn't achieve that. Um, yours is to reduce workload. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which yep. just quietly it doesn't do that either. <laughs> no. And we're, we're part of the self-selected schools um, with the new syllabus um, and some of some of the documents that we've been given to trial are like a hundred pages long for a fortnight. Like it's mm. it's a massive amount of paperwork. Um, but it will be interesting to see how it evolves mm. over the next kind of eighteen months. See where it's headed because they haven't revealed all their cards just yet. Well, I know that lots of pet teachers in Queensland are <laughs> interested to see where it goes as well. <laughs> yeah. Our next question is, what impact do you hope to have on others? I hope to, I don't think inspire is the right word. I just, I hope that the things that I create and the things that I share and the work of others that I share, one person out there you know, finds it valuable and finds it useful for their students and they take it and they tweak it for their context and it it engages their learners. That's really what I hope, you know, happens. And if I can do that for one teacher, then I'm I'm a happy person. I don't have massive ambitions around, you know, impacting millions of people. Like I'm I'm realistic in that. You know. Oh yeah, but even so, that one person then goes on, and you know, it's it is a compound thing, or it is that ripple, though. Yeah, you you will never actually know how many people. No, and and I'm I quite like the fact that I don't know <laughs> how many people, um, you know, have been impacted by the work that I share and the writing that I do, and I mean, I get a little bit of a glimpse with my website around you know foot traffic and that kind of stuff and I don't look at it all the time probably like you know once every couple of months I go in and like oh I'll just have a look at you know see how many unique visitors I've had to the website or you know page views and what the most popular page is currently for that couple of months the numbers now are pretty pretty significant if I'm I'm going to be honest when I started particularly um, the development of the website that kind of coincided with the work we were doing with Ron Richard and mm. Thinking Pathways was actually the title of my role at work. It started and came about because I wanted to provide a place for the teachers at my school where they could find easily find thinking routines and kind of a, a quick how-to card that went with it to say, right, you know, here's the, you know, the setup of a script, like I do this and I do this and then I do this. And, you know, if I was to use it as an assessment, here's what that would look like. And just to give them a place that they could quickly access um, all of that information. Then it kind of grew to other schools that we were on the same journey together with. And they were like, oh, you know, what are you doing for this? Or how are you supporting your staff with this? Well, I was like, well, actually, I, you know, 
made a website for all the, with all these resources for staff. And then I kind of opened the website up to be wider than just my school community. And it kind of just grew legs, kind of exploded. And I think the last time I looked at it last month or the month before, it was like 38,000 unique visitors for the month. I was just like, oh, like that's just wow. <laughs> that's, that's just great. phenomenal. Yeah. And I think it's people from weird and wonderful places around the world um, accessing it, like, you know, Singapore and Canada and the States, but you get, you know, really tiny people from really tiny countries that I've, you know, never <laughs> ever heard of before um, using it. And it's, it's kind of nice when people reach out and they go, oh, you know, I've been using this resource or I really like you've done, the way you've done this. And I thought, oh, I blissfully in my own little bubble had no idea that the, what I had created was having such a profound mm. impact on, on others. And I suppose it's kind of really cool. Like uh, helping others is, is what I really love to do. And I set out and aimed for one person and if I've helped 38,000, then I yeah. have well and truly achieved that Absolutely. Goal. So I think the great thing with your website, you do have the thinking routines and like you say, the little cards with which explain them and give the instructions. And there are other places we can get those, you yeah. know, the Project Zero toolbox and things like that. But I think it's probably what people would be attracted to for with yours is it's that personal touch it's the blog and it's you know it's the personal stories that go along with it project zero is great their toolbox you know there's so many there and it's really clear it explains how to use them but I think people like that connection yes and so having you provide that resource and, and summarizing and helping people to understand them they feel like they have that connection or there's that personal input yeah. What I, what I find is people really want to know what it looks like in the classroom mm. you know, and they can, they can see the card and they can pick up, you know, the project zero resources and pick up Ron's books and you can read through it and go, yeah, yeah I can see, mm. you know, I can see the steps and I can see it all there. And most of the people that I work with, they want to either hear or see examples of what it looks like in the classroom what's worked what hasn't you know how how do you adapt the routines to suit the needs of your students what does it look like in a kindergarten classroom versus what does it look like with your sixes or your twelves or all of the different range of learners and the ability of learners and that I think was something that I set out to kind of help others to understand because that was one of the things when I was doing that role was the staff in my school were like you know these are really good but what does that look like for you know my kindergarten yeah students what does it look like for year one what does it look like for year five and how is that different and what would I be expecting of them so I think that's kind of the approach that I've tried to take in the way that I share or the materials that I do around those routines the way that I write about them on the blog and kind of some of the units that I've written the way that I've incorporated those um, throughout. Before we move away from impact, do you want to tell us a little bit more about your book? Yes. So I've written a book called The Thinking Classroom and it's in the final kind of phases of editing at the moment before it's 
sent back off to the publisher for typesetting. So it'll be out oh, 26th of October, which is coming around really quickly. Mm. Bit, bit exciting. But it actually came about because of my blog. The lovely Alicia from Amber Press reached out and said, you know, I've, I've been reading through your blog and I'm really interested in the work that you do in this space. And there's not, there's a few authors out there that, that talk about, um, you know, thinking routines and the development of culture and, you know, Ron Richard being the biggest yeah. um, one in that space. She, she said to me, oh, you know, the way that you talk about Ron's work and the way that you share, and like you said, that, that personal touch around the thinking routines and how they work in a primary classroom, but the different range of learners and how you adapt to that. She said, you know, there's not anything kind of out there like that um, in that space. And so she's like, oh, how do, you, how do you feel about writing a book? And I was like, it's on the bucket list. <laughs> like, I think I could give that a go. And so I started the process in January of this year, set out to go, okay, well, if I was going to share with others my understanding around critical and creative thinking and how to develop that culture what I've learned from my practice and from my learning and you know the implementation of thinking routines and even so far as leading others in that space if I was going to share that knowledge you know what would that look like and so I kind of piece the jigsaw puzzle together and it's turned into a book so it's all about kind of giving a little bit of that foundational understanding around critical and creative thinking and what that looks like and how we develop metacognition and then it kind of branches off into the Australian curriculum space and New South Wales syllabus space around um, the general capabilities that we have in terms of critical and creative thinking and what that means for us as educators and what that looks like and I share a few kind of programming examples Mm -hmm. through that and look at some of the foundational pedagogies that sit behind the development of critical and creative thinking so I talk about you know the use of explicit instruction we look at the importance of questioning um, the use of thinking routines and really then unpack probably my most used thinking routines in the classroom and really trying to think about what they look like in different curriculum areas that's that's another area that people often reach out about is you know, if I'm using, say, a C Think Wonder, it's the easiest routine and it's generally my go-to. You know, if I use that in an English lesson, what does that look like in mathematics? What does it look like in geography? What does it look like in history? And really looking at how do I convey the purpose, the intent of these thinking routines and, and break down that thinking process. So it all came back to question that Ron had asked me back in 2017 that you know when you tell someone you're thinking what's really going on in your Mm. head and that was really the the driver behind the way that I wrote the book in terms of being able to convey to others what that development of that thinking culture and the use of the thinking routines look like in different curriculum areas how you can adapt them put in some examples of my own practice in terms of what that looked like for me and my students and how I used that to drive learning, used it as a formative assessment, used it, 
to help students see kind of where to next on their learning journey. And at the end of the book, I kind of talk a little bit about how you lead that culture of critical and creative thinking with teams of teachers. So how you expose them and and engage them in using them as, as learners and then how they then take that back to their classrooms to impact their students. There's a lot. There's a lot sounds, in. Like it's a, sounds like it's a big book. Yeah. <laughs> it's, and um, I'm surprised you got did all of that in eight months or seven months. Well, I finished writing it, I think it was at the beginning of July. So Gosh, it's a good, good six months of writing. Yeah. And there be there were times where it's like, oh, I got a little bit of writer's block, but it took me a couple of weeks to kind of revisit it and go, Nut and ideas come to me and I just, you know, sit down. I've got a 10-month-old, so writing with a baby was a very interesting experience. <laughs> but she'd be playing on the floor or having a nap and I'd think, oh, just get my computer and i will you know, got an idea, I'll write this down before I forget. And before I knew it, you know, I was, I think there's about 13 chapters in the book and it was kind of like, oh, I set myself a deadline and went, right, I need to have this much done by X date and, you know, here's my end goal and, yeah, very excited to see mm. it in print. It sounds great. Look forward to once it's published and available. It's available for pre-order, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is a little bit exciting. It's a little bit daunting, I think. It's mm. kind of one of those things that you, you write and you think, oh, yeah, just, you know, it's like the website if one person looks at it. But a book, I think, is so different to a blog and a website it's like a physical real thing Mm. and I've I think I've got a sense of um almost imposter syndrome like oh like do I really want this work to be out there and it's like it's already out there but a book is just that kind of next yeah step but it's it's very exciting it is and I'm sure there's no imposter syndrome (laughs) happening there will be many many people that will <laughs> learn from it all right we're up to the last part of the podcast which is some quick inspirational influential and impactful recommendations who should we connect with apart from the ones that i've already mentioned that inspire me i'm going to go with some australian people that i actually podcast with rebecca west from talk and chalk her work is amazing she's got a youtube channel and a Facebook page. And I think she runs a student one as well called Clever Pickles. Definitely one to follow. She's actually just moved to Queensland. She has. Her school is about half an hour from where I live. Ah, nice. Mm. It's very exciting the work that she's doing up there as a foundational deputy. So definitely one to follow. The other one I'm going to give a shout out to is Aaron Johnston, he's the face behind Mr. J's Learning Space. So he's on Facebook and Insta and Twitter, I think. Um, But he shares a lot of amazing resources that he uses with his students. He's a stage three or five and six teacher. But he does a lot of amazing work in the classroom. And in particular, um, I'm a big fan of the work that he does in terms of helping other non-Indigenous teachers develop a really strong cultural understanding and and how to embed that in the classroom. And he works really closely with the likes of Leslie from Wingaru Education um, and other Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander 
leaders in the education space. And I think the work that he does and he shares is just amazing. So definitely one one to follow. Mm-hmm. Agree with both of those. Uh, next one is what book is a must read? I mean, apart from my own. <laughs> um, the one that I always come back to, and it's one that I've read many times, every time I read it, I get something new from it, is Innovator's Mindset with George Kuros. Have you read that one before? I have read that one. And Innovate Outside the Box. That's really good as well. I think the innovator's mindset is, I guess, our own thinking and our own, um, you know, sparking that within us. Well, that's what I sort of found with that one was Innovate Inside the Box. Maybe a bit more practical or had, you know, some more elements where you could actually say, okay, so within the box, the classroom, how, how can I do do those things yeah George's um he has like a weekly newsletter as well yeah if you've subscribed to that one and that's really good just some you know the reflections or the different learnings and things that he shares yeah um in that space as well yeah I think I was part of his the first iMOOC that he ran when the when the um the book study yeah when the book first came out and it was just phenomenal he is Mm. such an amazing educator and leader and the people that he works with and he gets on um, his podcast and things like that are just amazing he's another one to follow if you want someone to want anybody we mention you should follow all right and the next one is what podcast is definitely worth listening to other than this one and I'm going to give a shout out to the Teacher Takeaway podcast because, you know, why not? (laughs) There's shameless self-promotion there. Yeah. The other one I'm going to give a shout out to is Cold Coffee, No Glue Sticks with Katie Street. She is an Australian, kind of an Australian educator. She came (laughs) from England, so she has a really cool English accent, which is really cool to listen to. She just interviews different Australian educators and ask them a series of questions and some of them are a little bit curly some of the craziest moments that people have had and which are really quite interesting they can some of her um, episodes are quite funny and she gets on some people that are that are well known but also people that are not as well known but are doing some great stuff in education which is really really nice to see so shout out to Katie. What cause should we support? I think and we kind of touched on this earlier around student well-being particularly in in the current climate with you know the pandemic and the floods and the fires we really have to put well-being at the forefront of every decision that we make and everything that we do in schools you know we really need to be developing as we talked about earlier those social emotional skills but also that resilience and that mindfulness that ability to get rid of all of those distractions and just be present and in the moment and I think that is the one of the biggest things that we need in education right now Mm. and you know that's all the things that will help with the current mental health crisis that our young people are facing as well yeah absolutely very, very important And the last one is, where is your dream travel destination? If I had to go anywhere in the world, it would be Canada and Alaska. Mm. Hands down, top of my bucket list. 
Yeah, I would love to do it. I just think like my one of my favourite movies is The Proposal with um, Sandra Bullock and Ryan Reynolds and it's for the most part filmed in Alaska or what is pitched as Alaska. I don't know if it was actually filmed there, but I just think every time I watch that movie, I just think, oh, I just really want to go there just purely because I love that movie. Definitely top of the dream destination. Yeah. I've done Italy. That's the only mm. place in Europe that I've been. It was um, it was amazing. And I went in, oh, it was just beginning of winter, so it was quite cold but still stunning. All right. So the last thing is just how can the listeners engage with you? All right. So got a number of ways. Um, first one being Twitter, just at Alice underscore Vigors. Um, I'm on Instagram under the pseudonym Thinking Pathways through the website or the blog, which is uh, Thinking Pathways with a Z dot Weebly dot com. Um, I've got a Facebook page and a Facebook group, both called Thinking Pathways. Uh, through the podcast, Teacher Takeaway podcast. Um, there's a website attached to that one as well. And on LinkedIn as Alice Figures. So lots of different ways that you can get in touch if you wanted to. All right. So I recommend everyone connect with Alice or follow Alice on all of those different platforms. Thank you very much for your time and for the chat. That was fantastic. Lots of learning and sharing. So thank you. Yeah, good to good to connect. Almost kind of face-to-face. Almost. (laughs) Virtually face-to-face. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Karen. Thank you for listening and I hope you found something inspiring, influential or impactful to take away. I'd be honoured if you shared the podcast with friends and colleagues and would greatly appreciate it if you could show your support by subscribing and leaving a review and rating for the podcast. Please connect with me on social media at at KCASW1 on Twitter and at authenticity underscore in underscore edu on Instagram as I'd love to continue the connection.